You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is To Stir With Love, a criminal justice reform podcast. I'm here with uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Kolokowski, who is the chief of chaplaincy in Weimart State Prison. Uh, we have with us tonight a very, uh, I think, an impressive panel. It's not a large one, but uh, handpicked for what I think is hopefully a, a topic that is not only interesting, but I think provokes some major, major questions. Uh, it's something that was in the recent news. It was a, uh, a, the Kim Potter trial. The Potter trial resulted, of course, in Kim Potter being convicted on two counts of manslaughter. One of them, I think, was more like a reckless endangerment type of manslaughter. Um, for those of you that are not familiar with the facts, on April 11th of 2021, uh, right as the, during the Derek Chauvin trial was going on in a area that I believe is sort of like a, a, a suburb, but I think it's really part of Minneapolis itself called Brooklyn Center. A uh, traffic stop occurred. Dwayne Wright was stopped by officers uh, for having an expired tag, eagle-eyed officers indeed, and for noticing that there was an air freshener that was blocking uh, their the view. It seems like that this is a uh, it's on the list of many uh, state uh, traffic laws. The a driver can't have something that blocks his ability to see the traffic behind him uh, or her. Uh, Wright was stopped, and uh, Potter, who had been a who was a uh, if not a decorated officer, but a very well-respected officer who didn't have any disciplinary actions against her, uh, was never uh, in trouble as a police person, was very well liked by her her co-police workers, uh, was part of this traffic stop. When they stopped Dwayne Wright, who was Black, uh, they discovered that besides the expired um, registration, that there was an outstanding warrant for him for crimes that he had committed and not shown up for, uh, I guess, for his trial or for his arraignment. And therefore, they were going to arrest him. Uh, the At the time, uh, Potter's partner uh, had, part, and of course, all of this was on body cam, as was, uh, uh, which is the law in many, many states. So the whole stop was actually filmed uh, by Potter, uh, and uh, it seems that Potter's partner had put her his head into the uh, into the vehicle. I guess questioning Wright, and Wright uh, started to drive off. Uh, it was then that Potter. Uh, um, said that, screamed out that she was going to uh, fire her taser. And as I have been, uh, has been explained to me uh, by Dan, uh, Captain Dan, we're going to get to for a second, that this would have shot uh, wires of uh, electric uh, force into, uh, into right, disabling him and not allowing him to, I guess, to, to continue. If, I guess if the taser would have hit it, but she actually instead 
uh, grabbed hold of her Glock, and the the instead of firing the taser, she fired a Glock, which fired bullets into Wright, which killed him. Um, the trial was uh, the it was it was a obviously a cause celebre. Um, it was a very emotional trial. Uh, there was a a lot of uh, back and forth discussion and the pundits speaking about it. Um, and you might ask why we are getting involved, because I do think it, it really centers in on issues of criminal justice. Um, there were her argument in court, although it, it seems like she could have argued that she really felt that uh, Wright was escaping and that she was justified even had she been used force because her partner was in, in, in peril. Uh, her, that was not her defense. Uh, it was mentioned, but uh, it seems like the body camera evidence indicated that that wasn't really the issue. And basically, she just said she made a mistake. And her lawyers kept on pleading with the jury that they should understand that um, that this was a mistake, and that if you were going to uh, punish people for mistakes, then you would have to you would open up a can of worms of punishing many many professionals for mistakes that they made. I think her lawyers would have been satisfied had she been stripped of her badge and maybe been uh, been not able to operate as a policewoman ever again. But instead, the prosecution felt that because of her training, because she was a policewoman, because she was meant and she was paid by the public funds to be a person who was on top of things, and considering her experience, this was considered criminal negligence. And therefore, she was guilty uh, knowing that she had these weapons of manslaughter, and she was sentenced. And I think that in, 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 in Minnesota, I believe that she is looking, I don't know if she's been sentenced yet, but I think that the sentencing guidelines call for something like about eight and a half years in prison, despite the fact that she has no record. That's about a little synopsis of the case. Um, I, again, it's, I think it's something that there was, a, um, there was a lot of discussion about it in the African-American community and the police community. We don't, have, uh, we don't have representatives from those communities, but we do have with us a Chris Minor, who is a criminologist uh, from Chicago. He's been here with us before. He is an avowed uh, abolitionist in terms of uh, seeing many, many problems with the criminal justice system. And we also have with us, as I sort of alluded to before, Captain Dan Sosnovic, who is a, uh, a retired captain from the New York City Police Force. So we're going to let you guys go at it. Uh, talk about your, your thoughts about this trial and about this verdict, about what you think it indicates. Okay, thanks for having me. Uh, Since you brought it up, just briefly, I want to touch on how I am an abolitionist. And what that means is I like to envision a world someday, definitely not tomorrow, where people aren't incarcerated, at least not for instances such as this. So when I look at the situation, it brings two things to mind. Um, First of all, she has been found guilty. She's yet to be sentenced, but she's probably been doing a few years in prison. What does that fix? What does that help? I think most are in agreement this was a mistake. If this was a mistake, then incarcerating her is not going to deter other people from doing it. It's also not going to bring Dante right back. But that kind of spins it around to my biggest point is there's such an obsessive, uh, such an obsession with punishment. If something bad happens to somebody else, 
everybody wants to find somebody to blame. It's like we live in a society where bad stuff can't just happen because it happens. And that's what I believe happened here. Now, there are facts that look bad. Um, she drew her gun instead of her taser. Her gun weighs three times what a taser weighs. It also has a different safety mechanism. She's a 27-year veteran, and she's a trainer. She was training her partner on this day. So this is somebody who's supposed to be the best of the best. And yes, while there are certain mistakes, and this might fall, actually this probably falls under it, that just can't be made. You have to be a professional. But if you watch the videos, you'll see what's called, we talk about in criminology, is point of view intensity. And that kind of gives you an idea of what was going on there, how fast it was happening. Now, when I list the stuff like, well, her taser, you know, weighed one third, but that gun weight, different safety mechanism. In the heat of the moment, even someone like me who generally doesn't stand on the side of police and do not take that wrong. Police are valuable. They do an important job. And I'm not one of these I hate police types. I just want to fix the criminal justice system. I believe it was a mistake. And why are we punishing a mistake? If anything, this would have been a good instance for restorative justice, where we could say, talk to the victim's parents, what would you like to see done? Do you want to see this woman go to prison for 10 years? Or you just want an apology and admission a mistake was made? Um, she can no longer be a police officer. She can no longer possess a gun and maybe some monetary compensation. I mean, a lot of people, I do understand, you lose someone close to you, a son, a friend. I don't want your money. That doesn't fix anything. But generally, once you get past the fact that you've lost someone important to you, you can kind of think clearly like this was just a mistake. And my biggest concern is an abolitionist. We're trying to change hearts and minds. But some people are buying into this punitive punishment thing. And I'm scared this case served as a proxy for a lot of police that weren't convicted in the past. Derek Chauvin was on everybody's mind. And yes, he got his just due. Well, depending on who you ask. But was she being punished for what she did that day or was she being punished for crimes of the past? And I don't want a proxy like that. I want her to be tried for what actually happened on that April 21st, not for the sins of police pasts. Uh, Chris, I, I think, you know, you bring up another point, although you didn't develop it. And let me develop it a little bit for you before we get to Dan, which is that it, it, it might have been terribly wrong for this to be held in the same place in the same courtroom that Chauvin was was tried in and and and, and it should have been a mitigating factor that you know th that this event should occur although it's it's completely different than Chauvin's killing of George Floyd right here you have someone who who is remorseful, someone who clearly says, I'm going to tase you. There's no way you can conflate this. But yet, in the spirit of we're going to finally get the cops, as you say, proxy, and, and, and the joy, and it's so ugly, let's call it what it is, that the, that the African-American community should, should, should be joyful that this was a conviction. And now they're seeing that the shackles are being, uh, 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 are being broken from them is, is, is a very ugly display. It was, it, there's no, there's no indicator that, that Kim Potter had a racist bone in her body. And, um, you know, and, 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 and she cried, she, she, she showed her remorse. Um, the fact that there was this, this, this cold response, and I'm not saying Minneapolis could have done it any different, but I think within 
the framework of what was going on, there maybe should have been a, a change of venue. I know that the jury was, was only, only had three blacks on the jury, which I, I think it was only three blacks, it was nine whites. So there, it wasn't like, you know, okay, we're finally getting our due. Still, you know, it, it could be that in the, it, when you have trials like this, that are on the heels of uh, the shadow of other big, big trials, that maybe it's, oh, it's very difficult to get justice in that same place, because th- there's no way they couldn't be affected by the aftershocks uh, of, of Derek Chauvin. I just want to put that in there, too, and I think that could be applied notoriety. Dan, um, you, you have been, I don't know if you've ever been in the same position Kim Potter has been of making a, a traffic stop like that. Uh, but you definitely have, have worked with your uh, partner. You've trained partners. You've also been, I, I know, in situations where, as you heard from Chris, there's a, it's, there's a lot of chaos and panic going on. What do you think is problematic with this uh, decision of the jury uh, to convict her on these two counts? Um, okay, thank you for thank you for having me. I I think the biggest problem here is that, as you said, there is a very close proximity to the to the Chauvin case, and I think it's occurring while that trial is in is in progress. I think that um, you have people that were very intent on seeing Chauvin brought to justice, and now all of a sudden in almost the same location, you have another police officer who admittedly committed some type of a homicide. And, um, and, and again, it just was, again, the, the wrong colors of the police officer and the victim. And needless to say, we have exacts and people are reading it as the exact same case. So I think that, that that's a very important aspect of this. And I think that it re- immediately went to people's knee-jerk reaction in regards to their their preconceived notions about police officers and the communities that they serve. Uh, I like Chris, I mean I, I hear what Chris is saying about just, you know, incarceration as as the as the last choice. And I certainly, you know, I can certainly hear that in this regard too, because um, you know, Potter Potter doesn't have any type of doesn't type have any type of criminal background and has served law enforcement for over two decades and was a training officer. But I think the bigger problem is that if people don't start to understand that in the heat of the moment, when you're a police officer, you literally have sometimes less than split seconds to make a decision. And if we're going to criminally charge police officers for making those decisions in the split, split seconds that they are given, and then hold them to account by criminal standards without giving them any leeway and any acknowledgement of what it's like to be a police officer in the heat of battle, I think that you are basically going to shut down even further the uh, the willingness of any police to to take any type of uh, of of extreme action in the face of criminality. And what, what what has been termed the Ferguson effect way back when uh, I think it was uh, Brown was uh, was killed by a police officer in uh, I want to say it was uh, Missouri. Um, I believe that the Ferguson effect. I think you're going to see a Potter effect now, where in fact you're going to see police further detaching 
from any type of engagement in, in the simple act of self-preservation. I mean, police are going to basically just be involved in self-preserving their own lives because now it's not just a matter of losing your, your career. And remember, when we say, oh, I think we should have just fired Potter. I mean, okay, so in other words, she did 23 years and we're going to just basically pull the plug on her entire career because she made a mistake. So even when we're saying that, it's like, okay, so you say that we, we're saying that matter of factly here this evening, but even that is a big, is a big, uh, is a big earth shattering event for any police officer. But nevertheless, they're going to be afraid, not just of the repercussions to their careers, they're going to be afraid of legal repercussions. They're going to be afraid of civil repercussions. So ultimately, and again, I don't even know what the civil repercussions will be for Potter. Kim Potter may face down the road, you know, impoverishment based on all the civil uh, lawsuits that she will face. So ultimately, I think you're going you're gonna to end up with a total shutdown or a severe shutdown of police engagement. And we know from, you know, basic statistics and what's going on in many localities today, that that type of a shutdown only results in more victims, victims in all types of areas, but sadly, mostly victims in minority areas. So the minorities themselves who are claiming that this is a some type of a police bias that is resulting in these in these homicides, uh, they in fact are going to be the ones that are going to suffer the most as a result of police retrenchment and police disengagement. And possibly also, right, Dan, they might you're going to have less police people wanting to sign up to become policemen. And there's going to be uh, is going to be a, a dearth of of policemen and police women because if they know that this is what looms could possibly loom in front of them, they say, "Look, what do I need this job for? You know, I it, 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 whatever benefits it gives me, uh, the the risk factor isn't worth it." And uh, if it's I mean, if it's any proof, I who served for over three decades in the New York City Police Department. I would probably not recommend to anyone that would come to me today to uh, enter the ranks of law enforcement. I think that the uh, the uh, the climate is much too anti-police, and I think that the dangers to one's, as I said, to one's career, to one's freedom, and to one's civil financial uh, well-being are just too great. And I, I wouldn't even recommend it. So yes. yes, of course, there's going to be people that are going to be either flying out the doors, or you're going to have wholesale police departments that can't recruit enough people to take their place. And 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 and, and if they might, then they might be forced to take people that are even less qualified. So even if there might not be enough, and the people that they're getting might not be a people who are as I'm not. I don't know if Potter was the ultimate conscientious person, but she seems to have been a good egg. She seems to have been a person that was well liked. The person who followed procedure wasn't, you know, Derek Chauvin. There were there was discussion about him uh, and a lot of other negative things that he was involved in. But there's just two things. Well, I mean, I would just I would just add that again. I think this was one of the defense's case. uh, One of the defense's arguments is that can you imagine? Fine, we have malpractice insurance. That you have good doctors and good surgeons, and you know what? They make mistakes too. And yet there is an opportunity for a lawsuit to be in place 
and you can perhaps achieve some type of financial remuneration for a mistake by a doctor. Can you imagine if we actually arrested doctors and threw them in jail for making mistakes? It's like, wait a minute, doctor, your mistake on the operating table resulted in the death. We're going to arrest you for manslaughter. Can you imagine what type of what type of like upside down world and society we'd be living in if people would actually employ those types of uh, those type of heavy handed legal approaches to uh, other professions like they do with the police. One question though: Don't police have qualified immunity? I didn't know you could sue a police officer. Um, that well, first of all, Chris, I'm sure you are aware that qualified immunity is under attack as well. So, yeah, but it's like, existing right now. You're speaking as if it's not. I completely understand your point. And before I push back, let me just agree with one thing. Uh, you talked about the Ferguson effect. Here in Chicago, we call it the Laquan McDonald effect. And yeah, police quit policing. I mean, you're paid to police. Go police. But they basically did it. Our murder rate went way up. Am I blaming police? Oh, no. Chicago's got problems, as I'm sure New York does as well. But yeah, police are protected, but you're saying that she shouldn't even lose her job over this. If I work at Domino's Pizza and I get in a car accident, I'm done. Why would police who have uh, a monopoly on legalized killing in America, you may not like that framing, it's the truth. Why would they be held to a lower standard than a minimum wage delivery driver? A lower standard of what? And be fired. Yes. I mean, uh, right. I don't know that it's a given that they'll be fired. I mean, I, again, what if the accident is a rear-ended? That in other words, I was delivering pizzas, I got rear-ended. Are they going to fire me? If it's reported so, I mean, to insurance, it, yeah. What? If it's reported to insurance. I was a manager at Domino's Pizza for 15 years. That's <laughs> the only reason I brought them up instead of something I wasn't knowledgeable about. But yeah, if you make well, insurance your, claim, your driver gets rear-ended, he's getting fired. If he gets re-earned, it's not going to be insurance claim on him. It's going to be insurance claim on the other person. Okay, so. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I made a big example. I'm not meaning to confuse you. I'm just conflating two completely different things to show the idiocy of thinking that somebody who accidentally takes a life shouldn't lose their job. Yeah, you know, but you, but, but Chris, everything's got to be put into perspective. The whole. Well, that's what I was trying to do oh, by, by right, being right, ominous. Right, right. And, and I think most people know, and again, this is an interesting argument that you're saying. I think most kids know who get these delivery jobs, they realize it's a low paying job. It's a job that's, that's going to hold them over for a while. It's a job that you take in a temporary way. And you realize that as soon as it turns out that you might be a risk, you realize that you're gone. Whereas a police person is someone who dedicates their life, who has gone through training, who creates connections and relationships, who's risking their life. And it's true. Sometimes in some places where you deliver pizza, you might be risking your life. Sometimes when you eat Domino's pizza, you might be risking your life. But the point is, (laughs) but but, but I don't know that from personal, but I'm just speculating. But I think think it it is quite different. And I, I think I would have said to Dan, okay, put her on a desk job put her you know have her shuffling papers somewhere where she can still earn her pension eventually for for the years that she put in take her off the streets she can't do any traffic stops anymore put her in some place where she's just punching a computer or or generating bills or or something like that or she's involved in pr the idea that she and that i think that's what dan is saying she dedicated her life to this she loved doing this 
and therefore I think your your comparison, you know, to the to the Domino's driver, the Domino's driver, you you were a manager. I'm sure every single one of them was saying, When when can I get out of this job and find something I, I, that, that's real? Yitzchak, what do you want to say? There's something more than this. There's a level of stress in in being a police officer that isn't the stress, all right, you have to get there in 30 minutes. It's not, it's not the same type of stress. It's, it's not, you know, and, and in the heat of the moment, as we discussed, you know, my, I remember, uh, I think it was after my Zadie was Nifter, but my Zadie was a police officer. And in the Frum community in Borough Park, there was unfortunately uh, a Jewish man, Gidon Bush, was killed by police officers. We didn't see the Hasidish community rioting and all these things after this man was killed he, uh, he he went to attack the police officers with a hammer and he was shot and killed and i remember my bubble shalom she said that zadie said if he had to ever shoot he's going to empty his gun because, you know he was a parole officer but he carried a gun if if you're in a situation it's uh you you you, you got to think on your feet. There's not there's not much time to to think. You know, kanoim poigim boy type of thing. I don't mean like I don't mean al pihalocha, but I'm saying it's the heat of the moment type of thing. You don't the type of stress that's involved in that. It's a mitigating factor that she. You know, I I would agree that you know. It, uh, it's, 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 it's fascinating it's, that the jury did not accept. The heat of the moment, I made a mistake. They didn't accept her tears. The judge was very harsh with her. The judge said, you know, that this was, I don't accept this. I, this, is, this is more than just, this is negligence represents something criminal and it needs to be, it needs to be put that way. Uh, begging for mercy didn't help her. Uh, the question is, I think, I think as Chris and, uh, brings up, could she, have, could she have gotten a fair trial in that spot, in that space, um, and, and Yitzchak, you bring up another possibility that maybe the jurors were worried that if they ruled and they let her off, that there would be riots that might have broken out. And again, I, I know this is not a popular thing to say, but you know, we've talked about are, are, are juries the best people to decide when they've got all these threats hanging over them or they're worried or thinking, you know, especially, you know, better to put her away than uh, having days of unrest uh, in, in a place that was, that was, that, that had so much scar tissue uh, in Minneapolis. Again, like, like Dan said, with, you know, who, who loses from all of this is these communities. They lose from, they're going to, there's They're going to have more crime in their communities because of less policing. There's, uh, and a lot of these rioters aren't the local people. Some of them are not even members of the minority communities. They're, they're, People who take the, these op- opportunistic uh, people looking for some kind of uh, a thrill. We saw with what happened with, uh, with that other case. Kyle uh, Rittenhouse, the Rittenhouse Kyle trial. Rittenhouse. Yeah, we, the, these these were, you know, they said, oh, he came over over state lines. He didn't travel that far. There were people, the people who he killed were they were not from minority communities and they came from far away, opportunistic. Just looking for an excuse to make. To, to yeah, make all right, you. So, okay, I, I, look, let, let, let me get back. I want to ask Dan something, and I want to get uh, Chris as a criminologist as well. Why don't you think they? I know they said the body camera evidence precluded that, but it would seem the smarter thing to have done was to stress um, the fact that he was leaving and she was worried and her worry about the safety of the partner. It's interesting that that didn't carry the day. They decided to go with 
it was a bad mistake. They used the, as Dan said, the comparison to doctors and other sorts of uh, professions. Why didn't they, why, Dan, why didn't they, why don't you think they went with that argument about, hey, my partner, that car was moving away. My partner had the head in the car. Uh, you know, uh, it's true. I, I, I made a mistake, but, but. Conjecture, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that it would be a fair assumption anyway, that her, her team probably made the decision that to make the argument that deadly physical force was justified in that circumstance might have been a harder argument to make than to attempt to um, sort of counteract the uh, the uh, recklessness of her actions. In other words, it may, maybe they just felt that it was a, it was a shorter bar to make by trying to dissuade the jury that she was recklessly negligent rather than trying to say that she was justified in actually using deadly physical force. I think that, again, given the body camera, given the statements of the others that were witnesses, I don't know that they would have been able to make the argument that she was justified in using deadly physical force. Because remember, police officers only may use, I mean, as much as Chris might want to say that it's justifiable homicide, I mean, police officers are very limited in when they may use deadly physical force. So, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, I know that there's, you know, there's statements out there that want to say, it's like, yeah, yeah, these gun happy cops, but that's not really what's happening. They are, they are very constricted by the law and you must meet the standards of deadly physical force before you employ it. I I know, I know in in the DOC where I work, an escape is a justified use of deadly physical force the fact that this this kind of sounded like it's I know it's not exactly the same and perhaps it's different in in the different states but it it, it was you know someone who's absconding from the scene might not be necessarily justified but possibly because you don't know what's going to happen so that, that could be uh, again but they didn't use that argument again that probably because of the statutes there as and, and it's different in every state and every well plus someone plus someone that's under incarceration i could see there where escape there would the law would view that more prejudicially than say someone who has not yet been placed under arrest and g- given that even though he had a warrant so he's arrestable but even an arrestable person, I think, it does not rise to the same level of the law as someone who is incarcerated and is escaping. I think those are two different standards. Um, Chris, uh, we know that the uh, during the trial, the, the judge can limit what sort of information the jury hears about uh, Dante Wright, heard about Dante Wright's past. Um, do you think any of that, uh, in, in, in any of these type of trials, do you think that there, that we need to look at that as as well? I mean, this idea that we, we're not going to, um, you know, certain information about the victim cannot be said, um, you, know, you know, previous arrests, other things like that. Um, did you believe that that's re- that that makes sense to you, Chris? No, no, actually, it makes no sense. I don't know the exact specifics, but I don't think. Dan might know better that anything was off the table for this, but that kind of, I don't want to segue into the Kyle Rittenhouse discussion, but he had a lot of stuff on Facebook posts that weren't admissible. That should have been admissible, but the same with this situation is yeah, anything, any criminal record that Dante had, I believe should have been admissible, even though that still doesn't excuse 
killing him. So if they would have not used, uh, if they would have went with what you said, like he was trying to escape and she was in fear of her partner losing his life, then you have to look at his record. Um, I believe his warrant was for an armed robbery. Is there any punishment for an armed robbery offense that ends with an execution? If not, then why would you be able to shoot him there? I hopefully I'm articulating that well. Yeah. What I'm saying is if they use the defense that you said, all of a sudden you become judge, jury, and executioner. Fleeing a police officer for a felony that doesn't involve murder. I, I study law, but not case law could be completely off. And Dan, correct me if I am. I don't believe that's justifiable cause to shoot somebody. I mean, I don't not know, just again, personally. I know, that there, I know that fleeing felon laws in certain states allow for police to shoot a fleeing felon. There are many states that don't allow it. Our our position on that is probably immaterial. But yes, I believe that some states will allow a police officer to shoot at a fleeing felon, while others will not. So if I'm, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, thank you for that, because I don't know the law. And if that is the legal response, then I'm for the law. Even, even if I don't like it, the law is a law. We have to do our best to follow it until we can change it. But also, I feel if they would have used that defense and she would have been found innocent, Minnesota would have burned. Um, you notice when Kyle Rittenhouse was found innocent, there was no riot. Was it racially motivated? No, it wasn't. But he went there because of Black Lives Matter protests. He went there looking for trouble. Given the leftists and the anarchists, et cetera, that showed up, were also reappropriating public space and looking for problems as well. I'm sorry I keep going to Kyle Rittenhouse. I just had to bring it up because I think it kind of fit into what I was saying here. Yes. And well, listen, it's all fair game. Uh, Yitzchak brought it up. You know, once once something's on the table and to stir with love, you know, everything can get shifted around. And I think that that's that, that's fine. I wanted to, to ask um, about something else, which I think is related. This Dante, it was a tragedy, whatever his past was. It was clearly a tragic thing. He should have been brought to justice instead of being shot in his car whatever sort of bad fellow he might have been or bad past he might have had. Um, yet, so much emphasis has been going in on, onto this case, went into this case, because it was all documented, because it was all on camera, because it was part of the, the narrative that you heard Dan speak about. You live in the city that has shootings continuously, much worse than the city of New York. New York has its own problems in terms of government, but it does not have anywhere near the amount of murders per capita as Chicago and the amount of shootings that occur. And and, and of course, this is something you hear people speak about. And, 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 and for a person who's observing America and, and, and seeing, well, here was a shooting that we finally got justice. What about the, the, the killings that are happening through gang killings that are inadvertent, that are clearly acts of manslaughter, that are not being dealt with, that, 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 that people are out there, they're, they're, they're on the loose, they're, 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 whatever the bail laws are. It's almost like, isn't it ridiculous that here is this Kim Potter who made this terrible mistake and whether she should have a desk job, whether she should be in exile, whether she should be doing public works in a soup kitchen, whatever it is. And, and, and here we are saying this is an advancement in justice. And yet children are dying in the streets. Children are being shot constantly. Doesn't it seem like there's something wrong with the picture, Chris? Very wrong. I don't see this as an advancement. As I said, this kind of goes against 
a lot of people who were in my camp. I don't think this was justice. I don't, I don't think she should be incarcerated. And uh, yeah, Chicago, we have our definite shooting problem. And the problem is we have to address education, segregation, stuff like that on the beginning of it. Now, yes, we need police. We need law enforcement. We need law enforcement. We need to put more money to prevention. I don't remember the exact number. Our state's attorney was on the television talking about it. We're spending $500 million on enforcement, probably more than that. I don't know if this was over a year period, and like $5 million on prevention. Now, if we start putting more money towards prevention, we can stop this from happening because it is tragic. First of all, it's tragic to the lost lives. It's tragic to all the stakeholders there. In Chicago, we have a problem because now that we have everybody's got a camera on their phone, all these injustices, not necessarily this one, Philemon Castile, Mike Brown, all that stuff's being caught on camera. So the people in these neighborhoods where all of this, all these shootings and murders are happening are first, they're, they don't trust the police. Or they're too afraid of the people in their neighborhood to try and trust the police. It's a weird situation. So I envision a world where we don't need as many police. But right now, oh, yeah, we need them. This is a real problem. But we need to put more money and resources to preventing this stuff from happening. Because what generally happens with the police, and again, this is no offense, they don't prevent. They show up after it happens. And that's because of the community. The community won't give them tips. They won't give them the information. So we have to work out some kind of trusting, whether it be community policing or what it is. And this particular situation with the Kim Power trial, not a single police officer at the Brooklyn Center, was that what it's called? The Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Not a single police officer lived in that town. Not one. And if they lived where they actually police, there would be interpersonal communications, relationships with people. Hey, the person that might shoot somebody, I saw them at Walmart yesterday. I see them at church. I see them at the synagogue. I see them at the park. But we don't have that kind of interaction. Now, is that possible? I mean, you know, are we going to have every single police officer from Hyde Park, Kenwood, Bronzeville area where I live, live here? No, it's just not feasible. But we need to have more people so we can build trust back up with police. That's something that I think the police and all the stakeholders can agree. It will make policing safer and more effective. It'll make the community safer and more effective. But there's been such a division drawn over so much time because for so long, Black folks were yelling, we're being beaten up, we're being shot, we're being killed. Police aren't tracking numbers. And a lot of people, me included, were like, man, that sounds like a crazy movie, but I don't see that. My interactions with police are generally positive. Then everyone has a camera and they're recording it and we're seeing it over and and over again. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is really true. Now I'm very realistic. We're only going to see the videos of sensationalized things. We're not going to see many, you know, the hundreds of thousands of videos where cops show up, they take care of an altercation, they arrest the bad guy, everybody goes home, the bad guy gets punished. Uh, but that doesn't get shown. All we see is cops messing up. And, and that gets beat into some heads. Me being a criminologist, even though I speak like this, I understand that generally police officers are good. Generally, things go pretty smooth. But all the media wants to show is division. For instance, white cops kill white people all the time. We don't hear about it because that doesn't sell. Anger sells. And they got to put anger and hate and fear on television to keep us tuning in so they can sell us their commercials. It's all about (laughs) capitalism. And it may seem like oversimplification, but I think everyone here can agree. If communities of color trusted police 
or poor communities, not just even communities of color, that it would be safer for police and safer for the communities. And that's what we have to focus on. Exactly how do we do it? <laughs> that's why I'm getting a PhD in criminology, because that's the million dollar question. It's a problem. I can't solve it. This is all I do is think about how to solve it, because I don't want to see another person get killed. I don't want to see a cop get killed. Um, I'm going on a rant, but let me just fill in one thing that I think uh, is pertinent here. How Dan mentioned how some police, Laquan McDonald effect, a Ferguson effect, it makes peace a little more apprehensive about how they approach something. In my hometown of Champaign, uh, Champaign, Illinois, uh, there was an incident. The police were called. It was like two o'clock in the morning. It was a domestic violence thing. In my hometown, about 10 years ago, there was a 14-year-old black child in broad daylight who got killed by a police officer while, while going in his grandmother's house. So Anyway, I'm sure this was in the police officers' minds when they approached a car with an open door, a suspect who might be armed for a violent offense, no hands on their gun, almost walking up to the car with their hands up. And guess what happened? The guy had a gun. The guy killed one cop, shot another cop, and he was killed as well. <laughs> and maybe, oh, I hate saying this. It feels like I'm betraying my whole ideology. If those police officers would have came up with their guns raised, Nobody would have died that night. I hate saying that having a gun drawn might have been okay. And why weren't the guns drawn? Perhaps because they were afraid of how it would look if something went down on their body cams. And, and I don't know. I'm just trying to be realistic. As I keep saying, usually I'm on the other side, but I really, we have to fix this. We have to find some way to fix this problem or it's going to get worse. More people, more, more suspects and people who actually commit crime are going to get killed and I don't want this at all. More police officers are going to get killed. And that's just going to make this worse and worse and worse. And I better just... Uh, in, in Jewish courts, we're not on any sides. We look at every case different. And sometimes it, it's, it, it's the small thinkers that are on sides. People who think about things independently, who think about things from organically, holistically, intellectually, they're just going to look at this thing and analyze it. They don't. They, they, they aren't. They aren't representative of a certain side. Dan, is there anything that you want to um, comment? Uh, we'll give you the last word over here on uh, on on Chris's um, prescription. At least what I heard. Let's have more community police. Let's have the policemen knowing their community better. They should live there, be part of it. Um, how would you respond to that? Certainly, certainly. If if there are community members that can meet the standard for policing, I would welcome their their presence in the police departments of the locales that they live in. I mean, certainly there would, I don't think there's any reason to be against that. I also, as someone who pretty much policed areas that I had no real involvement in, in other words, I, I was always a city resident, but I never policed in my own neighborhood. But I will say that I policed in many neighborhoods that were you know, significantly different than the neighborhoods I lived in. And the thought really just never entered my mind, or really, I could probably say, with a great extent, most of my colleagues that, you know, that our job is any different, just because we're policing in an area that is not necessarily something that we are familiar with in terms of our own culture. I think that, you know, again, there is a sworn duty to uphold and I think that most police officers, I would say the vast, vast majority of them, they respect that duty. So, I mean, I think, you know, that needs to be said. I think that I would welcome, again, the idea that, sure, if we can 
we can bring members of the community in to the fraternity of policing and have them join us and have them police like we do, I, I see I see a win-win there. So I'm certainly not against that. I just, you know, I feel that people should people should understand that the police officers that mo- that jurisdictions hire, they are trained, usually trained rather well in the law, in police procedures. They know what they're doing, and they have a sworn duty. That is why they are police officers. They have a sworn duty to uphold. And I I know that the vast majority live by that duty. And again, as someone who has been part of that fraternity for a long time, and I know that we respect our profession and we respect our sworn duty. So I, I think that people need to get back to the idea that, you know, there there is honor in in professions. And, you know, when you take an oath of office, you you intend to honor that oath. And I think it's a pretty high honor, especially for police officers, that, you know, there are very few people that are prepared to give their lives in the service of others. Police officers are one such profession. And I think we really need as a community to get back. Dan, that the lack of trust in the south side of Chicago means that the cachet of weapons that the gangs have is not going to be turned in and there's going to still be gang violence. There needs to be, right? And, and that's sort of well, what I mean, saying. But, but again, I'm not sure where do we begin with that. And I think Chris is also a little bit, I think Chris indicated that he is trying to research how to, attra- how to attack that. So in other words, of course, there is a major problem, say, in areas of Chicago and areas of New York and areas of Baltimore. There are very big problems and they are entrenched and they've been entrenched for decades. So, of course, I can't deny that. But I will say that, you know, the people that are going in there now trying to affect some type of law and order there, by and large, the vast majority of those are really trying to do the best that they can, given a very difficult situation. And I think it's very unfortunate, say, for example, the South Side, that there are so few community members that they feel safe enough to trust developing a relationship with the police that are in their communities. Because again, uh, I believe that reporting certain crimes that you've witnessed could be a death sentence in some of these communities. Those are all entrenched problems that, you know, go, go beyond our discussion this evening. Yeah, and that, which is again, something you, the blight that we talk about in, in, in the United States. Look, Trump said it like in a very aggressive, ugly manner. But there was something to what he said when he talked about, you know, the, what was going on in cities. When he talked about, he talked about carnage, and he was, he was, you know, people said he's a racist, and he's a, he's a, you know, he's a white, uh, ra- you know, he's just a, you know. Uh, but still, when you hear the, the stories, they rip your heart out. You hear about little children that are dying on the streets. It is, it is, is I don't know what else to call it except carnage. Um, the uh, and he wanted to develop the opportunity zones. He wanted to, he wanted to clean up the cities and give opportunities, and the, that's not what they wanted. That's not what the. I, I think we have to say again. You know, again, I, I know. You I'm not saying that the people in the community didn't want, but the the powers that be didn't want that. You know, he no. was the powers that be. He was no. the president. 
Right. What what I'm saying is he was probably the wrong he delivered the message incorrectly, but he was correct in saying that the cities need a lot I, of help. I, I think he delivered it correctly, and there and there are powers that be stronger than that that want to keep they they thrive off of this off of off of this uh, terror off off of this, this unrest. That's what they, you know. Clearly, it's 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 an intra it's somewhat of an intractable. Uh, uh, problem that might be very difficult to solve um i, I want to end and i say i was going to end and, and, and chris you can relate to this as a teacher sometimes distance helps in a certain way you know sometimes undue familiarity you, you expect you know come on right you, you know if, if you wear the white coat i realize you're from someplace else um and, and you wear the blue you're not from around here that doesn't mean you're not a human, but sometimes the, 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 the uniform allows you a distance that you can enforce the rules. Whereas when you're, Hey, come on, you, I remember you, we went to school together. You were the guy that, you know, we, we jacked stuff together. We, we used to get drunk together after the senior prom, whatever it was now, because you went to uh, school, you want to now tell me what I should have to do. I, I think there is something about the guy from outside that I don't know much about Yet, like Dan is saying, he promotes himself in a positive way, in a respectful way, with a smile and encouragement. So, is that is that? Do you feel that argument has any weight at all in terms no. of? No, because that's what's happening right now, and crimes up. Period. It's not working. The way it is is not working. If it is working, we wouldn't be having this discussion. <laughs> so, crimes other- up around the board. Yeah, we have to try something different. And I'm not saying every police officer, a veteran police officer, yeah, but it comes down to accountability and stuff like that. And yeah, if that's the person I know from high school, which I wasn't going quite that far. Yes, it is a little more like, okay, well, he actually knows what kind of stuff I'm into. So maybe I should be, you know, chill out a little bit. And now, once again, I'm not saying I have the answers. I'm saying that we got to keep trying some new stuff because as is, it's just going to get worse and worse. And that's all a lot of people want to do is, hey, let's just keep doing the same thing. And that's insanity. Do the same thing over and over again and think that something's going to do different. That something's going to change. Yeah, well, but, but, you know, that, 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 you know it, that, the, the rabbi brings up a very good point because not only uh, is it, oh, is it the guy that we used to get in trouble with, there couldn't it can lead to corruption because of too much familiarity. I'm in Chicago. Let me tell you some things about corruption or just well, Google it. Well, but we, we did, well, well, I, I think this discussion has been positive because I think we've been able to, to, to voice opinions. We've been able to talk about a problem. We've been able to hear what the other person has to say. And I think that there'd be more of that. There'd definitely be less uh, assumptions that the other person who disagrees with me wants to kill me, hates me, uh, is against me. And I think that that itself, discussion itself, is a positive tonic in that way. So that's about it, my friends. I want to thank again everybody here that was part of it, uh, your patience and understanding. It's always hard to manage uh, a panel like this, especially for four opinionated guys, I would say. <laughs> as much as I try to be a milk toast uh, as a moderator, I can't help but uh, letting this, uh, this beating heart somehow uh, articulate things. Uh, Chris, thanks a lot. Dan, Yitzchak, we shall see you next time. Take care, everybody. Be well. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 